When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, me? <laughs> Well, I'd like to know if I was married to a whore piece of shit. <laughs> you could just look at her license. My special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use them, sir. <laughs> it's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. This is why I drink. We're here today with Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. Michael, what's going on? You know, we keep getting phone calls, and it's interesting because people try to handle a lot of stuff on their own, or they try to talk to the adjusters, or they wait, um, and they think maybe it'll cost them money if they talk to me. And, you know, we tell them it's free to talk to us. Um, I go through what their rights are, and you know we try to help them as best we can. We don't sign everyone up. Sometimes I just give them advice, and they go from there, and then call us back later. But the key is, is that they don't know all their rights, or they're not told all the rights by the adjuster. And that's one of the things we try to make sure that they get, you know, they get that understanding, uh, so they can help themselves and their families as best they can. And the number is is eight hundred seven seven zero seven zero zero eight. Or at the website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Brad, Sean, Bryant, Michael Bryant, thank you. Seeking justice for the injured, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you by Brad, Sean, Bryant. Kicking off the show this week, we had Elka Scholes on the program talking about SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. After the cloudiest January on record, I think we need to hear this. Next! Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Elka Scholl's with us. Elka, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. i got to tell you some psychotherapist, Elka Scholl's with us. Uh, so far, I've heard about, oh, seven, 8,000 people say, oh, my God, i got to talk to her about overcoming winter anxiety. Winter anxiety? <laughs> Min- 
Yeah, winter anxiety. Yeah, it's a little, a uh, little bit much in Minnesota. You know. Sorry, I didn't hear the question. Oh no, no! I just said that. I said that uh, overcoming winter anxiety in Minnesota is a tough job. Oh, right, There's no right. doubt about it. No question. For millions of people, colder weather brings the blues along with darker days and staying inside more often. Learn how to recognize and tame seasonal anxiety triggers. Psychotherapist Elka Scholes is known as the anxiety. Ooh, the anxiety warrior. I like that, Elka. Yep. The anxiety warrior. Well, I have anxiety myself, so that, uh, and I didn't know it when I was growing up. I didn't know it as a child or a teenager or even a young adult. And um, I did learn that I have anxiety. And then, of course, uh, my journey began of discovering where did this all come from and how can I manage it. Is it, uh, from what I understand now, uh, anxiety comes from the fact that in your head, in your brain, you're worried, but worry doesn't uh, doesn't come out. It stays in your head, but worry turns into anxiety when you start to express it verbally. Is that correct? Yeah, and it comes from a lot of different places. Uh, worry is one of them. Uh, it can also come from a lack of water. Your brain will send signals mm-hmm. to your body that feel anxiety-like. Hmm. Yeah, so I can lack see of that. hydration Absolutely. will actually create anxiety. So it comes from a lot of different places. So now, Elka, where did you grow up? I grew up uh, in Ontario, and I now live in Muskoka uh, in Ontario okay. as well. Okay, now, so basically you know about dealing with winter anxiety as well, yes. right? <laughs> okay, well, I just wanted to make sure, because... Uh, Doug is with us today, and Doug said he's really got to talk to you about this winter anxiety thing. So my question is, snorting vitamin D, copious amounts of bad strategy to uh, counteract seasonal affective disorder. It's been, they they just said on the local news, this is the cloudiest January we've had since 1963, and I just just hate every moment of every day. What do I do? Yeah, and I find, um, yes, those cloudy, soft days. And, and you know, part of it is, is um, you know, we start feeling depressed or quieter or uh, less energy in the winter. And uh, one thing that I'm encouraging people to do is to relax into that. Um, you know, we can hibernate, too. Uh, maybe it means um, uh, warm blankets and favorite soups, comfort food resting it is a time of rest and uh even though you know we'll have to get out and go to jobs and things like that i mean there's other things we can do uh one of the things is um when there is a little bit of sunshine to get out there even if it's for two minutes or one minute and just to pause and take in those sun rays the other is a sun lamp Uh, my own office is i have a little cubby hole if you would see me now where i'm sitting and um and I do have a sun lamp, and I, I don't have it on a lot. It just has made such a difference, especially when we have um, you know, these soft, cloudy days that, you know, over and over again we're not having the sunshine. And, um, and you're right. Uh, some people take vitamin D, uh, which is our sunshine uh, vitamin. Um, though I'm not a naturopath, so I can't even recommend. Um, I don't know how much to, you know, suggest mm-hmm. anyways. So that's just a few little things, but there's other things, too. Um, but a few having a meal help, with yeah. a friend uh, and or family 
you know, making sure that maybe wintertime is, it is a time that it's slower, but it's a great time to make connections and be with people. Yeah, and I think that's terrific. One of those things, yeah, um, the whole, you know, winter is a time to... Oh, I can barely hear you. Oh, uh, I will turn myself up. There you go. How is that? Any better? No. Can you say it again? Sorry. Well, you can hear Tom, so I'll just let him take the reins. Okay. No, that's fine. Uh, So basically, what what I want to ask you about, is it okay if I just call you Elka? Yes, please. And I love, I love that name. By the way, Elka Summer was a good lead for all Elkas in the world, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> she was indeed, no doubt about it. So, okay, you start out by, let's say you have some some experiences. In my particular case, I I got worry as a little child because I I watched my mother who was trying to raise children by herself and 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 was a waitress. She worried constantly about how she was going to make the, make the ends meet, how she was going to pay the bills. How she would. So I picked up on that. You, you kind of inherit that by watching your parent. If you care about them, you kind of pick up on their, their worry and anxiety, don't you? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Is we there anything you can do about habit, it? And mm-hmm. I want to emphasize the word habit. So worry... Uh, is something we can change. We have fifty to 70,000 thoughts a day, and uh, most of those are repetitive. And the good news is that we can be the master of our minds, and we can change those thoughts. It takes a bit of work, though I do have a strategy for that. So, uh, and you're right, worrying isn't really beneficial. It, it kind of just keeps whirling around. So one of the things I tell um, clients is, you know, write down all your worries. And uh, one at a time, just write down the facts that support the worry. So what facts are suggesting that this worry is justified? And in a lot of cases, we'll find there might be something, but mm, there isn't really a lot. And then write down the facts that support a more helpful thought. So uh, whatever that worry is, I don't know if you have one, but I'm certainly happy to work through it and um, write down, you know, what supports a more balanced, realistic thought. And um, actually, uh, my clients have reported when they do that exercise, they come back and they go, wow, it really, it really changes because worry Worry and anxiety, they're part of our uh, human makeup and who we are. And it's kind of like anxiety tapping us on the shoulder and saying, hey, pay attention. (laughs) Pay attention to something. So, uh, and, and, you know, we don't want to assume that it's a habit or that it's wrong. So let's write it down. Let's look at it. Let's um, look at the facts. And then let's look at what really is happening and let's um, reframe and, and think about that thought in a more realistic, balanced way. Does that make sense or is that helpful? No, it absolutely is helpful. It makes a lot of sense, as a matter of fact. Okay, I, cool. uh, well, I, t- I tell you this, uh, uh, the way I think, Elka, and this is absolutely true that I have had worry that turned into anxiety. For a lot of people, that turns into depression. Yep. But for me, it turned it turns into rage, which is really unusual, I guess. Hmm. So 
you know, I behave now. I take a couple extra breaths, Elka, <laughs> so it works out really, really well. Well, um, and yeah, and you know, are all these unpleasant uh, human emotions? Um, they're there for a reason, and they're they are really um, asking, uh, like, when we have an unpleasant emotion like rage, anger, irritation, frustration, however you want to word it, stress, anxiety, and. You know, anxiety and stress comes in so many different forms, uh, whether it's fear, grief. All those emotions are signals for us to say, hey, let's pay attention. What do we need to do here? They're not wrong. So when you feel rage, it's not wrong to feel angry or rage or anything. It's just that something is telling you something isn't right. And Yeah, that's exactly right. right. Yep, yep, that's exactly right, as a matter of fact. I, I, one thing that on the upside of that whole thing, Elka, and this is absolutely true, and people looked at me in a really weird way when in high school, I actually laughed at this quote when everybody else took it really deeply and seriously. I laughed because I, I thought, my God, that's so true. I was sitting in, in class, and the teacher read a quote from Jean-Paul Sartre, hell is other people and i started laughing <laughs> because i was like yes yes it certainly is isn't it um like right now elka yes okay so we have winter and it's uh, it's overcast and it's cold but yep. if you turn on the television everybody in america hates everybody else elka it's just it's very upsetting actually yes well, when I, you know, and I don't know if uh, you'll enjoy listening to this because we are on the radio, um, is uh, one of the things I do uh, encourage people to do is know when to disengage. And yeah. our yeah. media, uh, and I mean, this program, I want to, you know, say thank you so much for doing things like this because it supports people and we're enriching people's Wonderful. lives. We need more of that, this. Um, we need to also disengage from uh, the social media and media out there. Um, there's so much uh, of uh, disasters and, uh, you know, we hear it repetitively and over and over and over again, sometimes the same story. And what it does, is it really does upset our system. And uh, it's just knowing when to disengage and when to say, you know what, I need to turn that off right now, or I need to mm-hmm. listen to this program, which is going to, you know, help me and um, help me live my life and help me live a good life. We all deserve to do that. Um, yeah, so it's, it's important to know when to disengage, when to pull back. Is it easy to do that, though, Elka? I mean, is it is it easy to disengage, or do you need to sit and, and make a concerted effort to learn how to get the, how to do that right? Well, I did that very early on. I actually um, I remember once a long time ago walking in a grocery store, and when I was looking at different products, I could hear the jingles in my head, and I just went, mm-hmm. "Whoa, no, I don't want to do this." So I actually, and I also was involved with a lot of um, uh, town council. Um, I was on different committees and things, and I learned a lot um, about, um, you know, how how media can present, or advertising even. And so I'd step back then. I I tend to, um, you know, I don't... uh, 
Uh, I don't go out of my way to fill my head or go into watching a lot of uh, media because I do always find out what's going on. It's interesting. I have clients they will either tell me or I can, if there's something locally that's happening, I'll do more research, talk to people. And um, it's, it's not that I've ever been in, you know, um, my head in the sand. It's not like that at all. It's just that mm-hmm. why am I upsetting myself by listening to things that are going on all over the world. It's not that I don't care. I do care deeply. However, um, you know, we need to think about where where can we be the most useful? Where can we help people the most? And for me, if I take care of myself, and then I can be, you know, as close to 100% as possible, then I can help. Like being, like I love to do radio interviews. I just totally love it. I enjoy it so much because I, I just want to help people and don't think it's so difficult, some of these strategies. And, and the same as my private practice. I want to be on top of things so I can really help people and empower them. And if I'm uh, defeated or sad or uh, bogged down uh, by, um, you know, because I've listened to the news over and over again, um, I don't think that's useful. So, um, yeah, I've... I've 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 stepped back, and I I hope that I do enrich lives. So that that's how I've done it. Well, but I think that is true because you do obviously enrich other people's lives. You really do help people a lot. That's got to feel really good, Elka. I would imagine knowing that you are helping a lot of people. Yes, yes, it does, and and I think um, I also believe in like we're all connected, like. In some way, as humans, we are connected with each other, and I think as we keep our vibration in a in a good, healthy way, whether it's uh, you know physically, spiritually, emotionally, that that people are going to resonate with that. They're, it's going to help them as well, and and that's where I, if I you know would encourage listeners or encourage people is to, you know, focus on that. How can you enrich your life? Because there's a ripple effect that happens, just like when a pebble drops in a lake. There's this beautiful ripple effect. Um, It affects so many people, and then as you affect them in a positive way, again, there's this, you know, big ripple effect that becomes endless in a way. Uh, Mr. Sprinthal, I want you to ask a few questions. Uh, you should tell Elka what you did uh, back in the day before Ronald Reagan changed the rules a bit. Oh, that's interesting. So I was a young psychology undergraduate student at a local uh, university here, and I took a job as a mental health counselor in a locked psychiatric ward, and I watched the implosion of our healthcare system, mental health care system in this uh, country in the early 80s. And it was just, you, you could almost t- predict what was going to happen. Um, seriously, mentally, a lot of schizophrenic patients uh, being pretty much left to their own devices would get off their meds. And it was really, the, in my mind, the start of the big uh, homeless problem in, in the United States right now. So many homeless people are either mentally ill or on drugs, you know. Yeah. You solve those two problems, you solve the homelessness, but we have made very little progress in treating yeah. schizophrenia particularly. Yeah. So I don't I don't really know that there's a question there, quite honestly, but Andy brings up a good point. You know, it's 
I, I think mental illness in general is treated as some sort of a character defect, whereas if you know people that are actually suffering from psychosis, they're not doing it on purpose. But why do you think that the treatment, uh, uh, medical science is lagging so far behind in the treatment of mental illnesses? Why? Yes. Uh, I think uh, probably a lack of money, lack of understanding, lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I think that we've had um, uh, mental, we've had uh, mental illness um, has gone all through our history and, um, you know, we haven't, uh, we haven't understood it because it's invisible in a way. You know, you might look at a person and and they they don't show an outward injury or an outward in, illness, and so then it's not understood. And um, when people don't understand things, they're afraid of them. It's very true. I, I think there's a few reasons, yeah. And I think that's also what inspired me writing the books, because um, you know I came I I noticed people coming in with similar problems and and also here in Ontario we don't have enough funds to help everybody and a lot of people don't have insurance and I just thought you know what this this can be like why not put all these resources out there it costs less than a pizza and because uh, money is a big thing people um, whether it's you know our government and funding and programs, or whether it's, um, you know, when we choose, when we, we may not have enough money, so then we're not going to choose to spend money on, on therapy. You know, maybe we just have enough money for food and clothes. So in, in the Canadian healthcare system, uh, therapy, psychotherapy is not something that's covered? No. That's no. interesting. It, it, sometimes it is through employment programs. Mm-hmm. So it, there's still many, many gaps. So it, it would be part of the. From what I understand, that in the Canadian healthcare system, there still is sort of a private umbrella that, yeah. that that's optional that covers a lot of, I guess what they would probably call non-essential services. But it sounds like your argument is that these really aren't non-essential. Right. Yep. Yep. Sometimes it's covered privately, but in a lot of cases, it's not. There's big gaps. Very big gaps. And I, it sounds See, Doug, like I find, it, that you have those gaps, too. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of gaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do. No, I, I find this fascinating. Sorry? No, I find this fascinating. I like your conversation you're having. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I yeah, think there's, uh, as we I struggle mean, with our health care system in this country, I think it's sort of... I don't know right, what the right word is, but we look to Canada and some of the European countries as having perfect health care because it's nationalized. And, and a little deeper examination it usually points out that, you know, there's, there's no perfect system. No, and unfortunately, I mean, we have, um, I'm just trying, looking up the stat here, um, it's like a quarter million Canadians are off work every week because of stress. And anxiety. I mean, that's how high it is. Wow. It's a lot. Mm. That's a lot of people. Can, can I ask and, an uh, ignorant question? How many people live in Canada? What's the population of the country, oh approximately? Now you, you know what? Those 37 million. They oh, don't roll around million? in the okay. brain. <laughs> yeah, it's 37 um, I just million know people. more of the percentages. But, okay. um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, and this is interesting, what, what we're talking about is, um, so the stress and anxiety and these symptoms, it's just mind-boggling how our body manifests illnesses based, like, from um, our mental health. Like, when we're feeling good, we're healthy. I mean, I, like... <laughs> You know, we're, we're resilient, we're energetic, we have, um, you know, our antibodies are in good shape, and, and we're not sick. Um, I mean, anxiety can cause so many symptoms. Um, it can cause IBS, uh, headaches, migraines, uh, hives, skin disease, um, heart disease. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And... I think that brings me back to why, you know, I want to support people in, in looking after themselves and feeling better, is they're going to actually be healthier. Like, it's just crazy. Um, there's just so much that indigestion, I mean, um, sweating, hives, uh, weight loss, weight gain, I mean, insomnia, so many things. And, and then where does the cycle stop, right? And then we go to the doctor and we're upset. And then, um, you know, we're asking for medication, but the medication isn't really fixing the problem. Well, it's January in Minnesota. I'd go for a little sweating right now. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? We'd be healthier to sweat. Yeah. Totally. We would be. thank you, though. Absolutely. It is true. Ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest today. I I thought it was a fascinating topic, Uh, you know, the, the winter being part of it, but also I think people really are going to have to focus on taking care of their anxiety because so much of it is being caused by, well, I mean, it's just a flat out truth that whether it's Hollywood or politicians or you go down the list, we're being lied to constantly and you know you are and it gives you a lot of, it's very unsettling to know that nobody's telling the truth anymore. It's very difficult. Well, one of the things is, you know what, is trust yourself. Trust Mm -hmm. your own body. Your body is your best barometer. Your body will tell you, like, and I, and, you know, I'm going to say you don't have to believe anything I say ever, and I tell that to my clients, too, and, and the bottom line is trust yourself. If this, any of this, what we talk about feels right for you, then it's bang on, go with it. You can go to E-L-K-E-S-C-H-O-L-Z. That's E-L-K-E-S-C-H-O-L-Z dot com. Elka Scholz, thank you so much for your time today. Have a wonderful day. You too, and thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. Great to have you. All right. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. I've got the blues. Oh, let me tell you. That was Elka Scholes on The Best Of. Coming up next, we had Chris Matthews on the program and a little technical difficulties, but Doug Sprinthal fills in admirably next. (laughs) 
I think it's a really, really good plan. So, yeah, I, I just got a couple of texts, too. People apparently from all over the United States are having, where well, had problems. I guess we're all back now, but wow. that can't be good for business, I wouldn't think, can it? No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, I don't know. It's you know, everybody trying to do, because everything now is, the whole world is digital. Oh. I mean, it's... A, yeah, that's all that matters. If if like people lose service on their phone or Wi-Fi goes down, it's like they revert back to like the 1920s. Nobody has any idea what to do or yeah, <laughs> how to get anything done. We <laughs> it is pretty much Chris true. on the phone. Chris Matthews, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Chris Matthews on the launch of his new podcast. So you want to be president? And I got to answer that, Chris. No, I do not want to be president. <laughs> well, you're like 330 million people. But how did we get this list? <laughs> It is great to have you on. Yeah, yeah. Where did it come from? No, you're absolutely right. Where did this list come from? Chris, it's been a while since we talked. At this point, and people are so undecided because they just don't know what to do. They're looking at a menu and they go, "I don't know. I don't know." We got like half the people (laughs) in Iowa say they can't figure it out yet. So I don't know. I, why did it? Why? How did we get here, Chris? I mean, it, we're at a point now where businessmen become president, and people who've never even done more than about six months of work become president. Everybody's president now. What? What happened? Well, what used to be a resume is now a rap sheet. <laughs> That's what you know. You were a senator. You were a congressman. You were a mayor. How can you explain that? Uh, whereas it used to be you, you bragged about in the days of Hubert Humphrey and people like that, they would, or Walter Mondale, they just walked around with their resumes on their back. They just loved being in office, and they bragged about it. Now, mm-hmm. if you're if you've been in office, you're responsible. You're the one. That's, you're, the, you're the problem. I think Trump won because he ran the people he didn't like. A lot of other people didn't like. That's what I think. They don't like him so much mm-hmm. as they they join with him in hating. Mm-hmm. That's I would agree. Uh, we might have lost Tom. We've been having some uh, telephone yeah. line issues. Just stand by for a sec, Chris. Sure. Well, Andy's trying to get him. I do have a question for you, sir, if you, if okay, you wouldn't good. mind. You know, I, I obviously know who you yeah. are. I'm a big fan. Uh, but I did have to do a little Wikipedia knowing that you were going to be on here. And some of the stuff that you did was, and I had no idea, you were Tip O'Neill's chief of staff, and you wrote speeches for Jimmy Carter, one of my favorite presidents. Yeah. Well, I had great jobs. Yeah, they they must have been. I, I still remember. I'm I'm 61, so I was a college freshman, and I don't know if it was the State of the Union or just a general speech. But Carter came on and said, "We have to reduce our uh, dependence on foreign oil, or be prepared to pay with it for uh, with American lives in the future." And I thought, as a college student, and you know, if we ever did wind up going back to war, I'd be probably somewhere on the list. That was uh, it stuck with me to this day. I, I'm a huge fan of his. What was it like working in the Carter White House? Well, it was very clean, very clean, and that was. I think that's what I'm proudest of. There was no scandal. Carter was totally clean and honest, and uh, and I don't think we got anybody got in trouble for it. And that's a good thing. That's the part I... Also, he brought Israel together with Egypt, its biggest strategic threat. Personally did it at Camp David. Yeah, and, you know, it's popular to say foreign aid is terrible. And then you look at, okay, we gave Egypt basically a billion dollars a year up until fairly recently. And to, and the trade-off uh, is we had peace between uh, Israel and Egypt that's even lasted today. And when we go into yeah. Afghanistan or Iraq, it's the bill is what twelve billion a month. 
a billion a year well, you know, seems pretty cheap. I never thought of it as a transaction, but uh, the, yeah, I think the package was about three and two in Israel's favor in terms of aid. Yeah. And uh, but I think the Egypt piece of it was definitely pro-Israeli too. It was to help keep in peace with their at that point most dangerous. In those days, it was tank warfare. You, you know, tanks would start moving toward Israel, and that's what the fear was. And that's been the fear until recently that somebody would move an army of tanks, and that would be what had to, and then the UN would call a ceasefire, and Israel would be in a tough situation. Uh, so uh, Egypt was the main threat, and it's gone. Andy, should I move on, do you think? Um, no, I mean, you know, as I long as Chris is being, enjoying being interviewed, but I don't know if we're going to be able to get Tom back. Well, we'll do the topic of the day, and this is, personally, I tend to lean left, and... Not the hugest fan of the president. I'm pretty open about that. But I, what I really don't understand if there's no way that they can get enough votes in the Senate. What are we doing? Chris, what's your take on that? I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, so I apologize in advance for being possibly redundant. Well, you know, I think uh, the new senator from Indiana was the most honest. He said, I'm listening to people back home. I mean, this is a partisan uh, exercise. I think even Pat Moynihan mentioned that when he was voting in favor of Clinton. He said, I walked into that chamber and I knew it was a partisan exercise. And, and what Braun said on Meet the Press was, I'm going to follow my people back home in Hoosier land, and, and, and they basically are with this president. And we got a number, it really hasn't changed. It's 44% latest number uh, pro-Trump. Uh, That's almost enough, maybe enough to win if you look at the Electoral College. We look at these poll numbers, these national poll numbers, and say, oh, Trump's down by four points. Yeah, but that's California and New York. Right. And it you doesn't take matter. take those two away, and it's over. Yeah. He wins. Yeah, it's Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Florida. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I just uh, hope that we can get beyond this. I think, you know, in a way, this is payback for Clinton getting impeached 20-some years ago. And it's, it's, it seems like, I think it's a terrible thing for the country. Did you hear? Uh, did you hear Ken Starr? He was along those lines. He was saying basically we're in the era of impeachment. There's too many impeachments. We've had three: Nixon and Clinton, and this one. And he, even though he was the independent counsel last time around, he's basically saying we're overdoing this. That's yeah. a case for the defense here. Yeah, I, I just if we can't get beyond this, it's going to happen again and again because I think Jimmy Carter was uh, a rarity uh, in the current in the political climate of this country. I mean, and he was necessary. I think he brought a moral center back to the U.S. after yeah. Vietnam and after uh, Watergate and all that sort of stuff. But he's a rare cat. We're going to be having flawed people going forward, and and if we just keep impeaching them because we don't like them or want to get back at the other side, I don't know how we're going to get anything done. Well, it's getting, I always say to people these days, stay away from the pedestal. We're not in a celebratory um, uh, era right now. It's very tough on public figures, and uh, I think that has discouraged a lot of people from running for office. I don't see a lot of quality people running. I think they've said, i got better things to do with my life than this, and uh, the scrutiny is much more horrific than it used to be. A lot of these people are just bad people, of course, but... It's getting very tough out there in terms of public scrutiny. And, uh, you know, there are a lot more commentators and critics than there are people with the, with the guts to run for office. 
Yeah, no, I agree, and I and I also think that leads to the bomb throwers from both parties getting in office. You know, everybody's saying the term limits is ter- term limits is terrible, but I think it's just going to get worse. Even if we went to with term limits, especially in the in the House, if we get new, well, that's all. That's the world we live in. Yeah, it's 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 one side or the other, and there's nobody in the middle. That's the way we that's the way we live right now. I can't. There used to be when I was growing up and back in politics. There was a good number of moderate Republicans from states of the Northeast. Uh, Bill Scranton, the governor, Tom Ridge, the governor, Chris, you know, uh, you had people uh, in New England states, or moderate Republicans all through. New- I think every Northeastern state had a Republican senator when I was growing up. That's all gone. The party's moved south. It's a Dixie party now. And the Democrats have very few moderates uh, in terms of not being like 90% ADA ratings. I mean, I mean, if you're off base on an issue like abortion rights, you're considered an oddity. Yeah, that's right. And like Bobby Casey is one of the few uh, in that department, or just, uh, and yet Bobby Casey wins every election. Well, as this and is so, a, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, it's not like it used to be. You had 40, when I worked for the Speaker, we had 40 to 60 um, Southern Democrats who um, voted with the Republicans on uh, major issues and uh, a lot of fiscal issues. And uh, Reagan was able to win what was called, you know, he had a bipartisan majority because there were so many conservative Democrats. They're all gone. The, the southern white Democrat is almost a vanished, a, a vanished species. They're just gone. And yet they were a big part of the coalition when I worked there. Well, we'll see what happens in Virginia. This might be uh, interesting this year. I think the whole race is going to be interesting. I, I, it's my sense that um, the one thing that, that Trump, winning has done is it's brought a lot of people into politics at least the spectators that are interested that never were before i mean it it, it may be a good or a bad thing I, I tend to think take the long view and think eventually as people figure out how the government works and stuff we'll get more intelligent choices but it's uh, been an interesting few years let's just say that well we'll see i can't predict the general election this year i have no way to predict at this point well, it looks ask- like it hasn't changed. The numbers haven't really changed since uh, 16. They just haven't. So if the Dems uh, uh, pick either Biden or Bernie, I, I, do you think that they would be one-term presidents? In other words, is the VP pick way more important if one of those two guys gets the nomination as, as opposed uh, yeah. to what it normally I is? I think you've nailed it. I think you've nailed it. If you run on a ticket with one of the uh, people in their late 70s, you're basically getting endorsed for the presidency down the road. And, and that's this weird, if not scary, thing because, for example, if you had Kamala Harris on the ticket, everybody knows she would run for president in four years. Everybody knows that the president you elected is a lame duck to start with. Everybody knows you're really both betting on a vector, a direction for the party. We're going to go from Biden to Kamala, or we're going to go from Bernie to uh, Amy Klobuchar, but we're really aiming toward that younger person. That's the future we're voting on. So that's a very interesting ballot. It used to pick a, well, it's been men in the past, some man, some guy in his middle ages, 40 or 50 years old, 50s, 50s was sort of the average, maybe early 60s, that sort of sweet spot. And then a running mate, maybe five, 10 years younger. And you sort of said, well, maybe Al Gore would replace Bill Clinton, or maybe George Bush would replace uh, uh, Reagan, but maybe not. There's going to be a fight. Al, Bob Dole made a big fight with uh, with Bush. So uh, 
it's not automatic at all. But this time, it would look almost automatic. You would think so, because it, it, regardless of party, that job takes such a physical toll on somebody. I can't imagine going into it in your late 70s. I mean, you look at Obama. And if you're vice president, you're dying to have the real job. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly true. Well, Chris, uh, I really apologize for the technical difficulties, and thanks for soldiering on with my questions. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. It's been good. All right. Have a good day, sir. Thank you. And I'm sure he would appreciate us saying that So You Want to Be President is going to be launching on January 27th, his new podcast. Who listens to podcasts? Well, no one right now, apparently. <laughs> The internet's down all over the world. There is no more podcasting. But Maybe you should hook him up with Tevin. If he's smart, he'll do a non-live podcast. Yeah. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. on the best of coming up next closing out the show opening up the old vault all the way back to episode 80 with friend and professional golfer Tim Heron friend of Tom that is next Timmy Heron just walked in why about this scroll because this is funny I don't know Tony Lee's also with us but uh Lump. Tim and I just did a uh, a charity golf event. Uh, was that was that in October? That was in October. You played well. You didn't actually play in it. You were at like uh, one hole. Yeah, I was on the seventeenth hole. On the seventeenth hole, I, I didn't play golf, but I just came to kind of. Oh, look who likes Tim Harris. Told him not to look at her, and then she's your friend. That's how Bella. she works. She's I heard one her of those dogs. Hey, Alex, keep your hands off him. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time. <laughs> that connection. Is so you may as well get. What? We're having computer things. Just talk amongst oh. yourselves. Well, but you have microphones on, so when you're talking <laughs> amongst <sorry>. yourselves. <laughs> Just one moment, please. God. Okay. Now so fixed you, it. We have you're the, welcome. Catherine, the wife, Alex, our daughter, Andy, our son, Sean, our nephew, and Tony Lee, who's at Channel 5 right now, because that's where he were. You remember Tony Lee from back in the day? On yeah, I do. I have, to, I have to bring up this story. I mean, just to get the story out of the way, because every time I see Tim... Just uh, you have to bring years. it up. I do have to bring it up because it was, it was so funny. <laughs> Two years ago, Tim was playing in the Honda Classic, which you won. What year did you win that? Ninety six as my first win. Your for very first win, but that was at like that wasn't at Heron Point. I remember no, they played Heron at Heron Bay, Heron Bay for a while. Uh, is Eagle Trace? Down Eagle Trace. Coral Springs, close there to Fort go. Lauderdale. You won the won the Honda. I remember. So he's playing in the Honda a couple of years ago, and to open up. Um, Alyssa, Tim's sister, is a good friend of mine. I mean, she's a wonderful person, right? So she calls me and said, are you coming to the Honda Classic? I said, yeah, absolutely, I'm coming. She said, well, I'll leave your credential at the front gate. And I said, are you two going to pay attention here? <laughs> yes, they're, they're ripping you. They're, they're really sitting over there. <laughs> God. <laughs> 
Catherine Tony and Brown Nose over there. That's what they're doing. <laughs> no, this, right. believe me, this is not Brown Nose. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah, she was doing this, Tom. It's just unbelievable. So anyway, <laughs> shut up, she tells me that. I've never liked any of you. Why are you messing with phones now? We're well, d- well, you tell the story. Just pay attention to it? your own life. We have a guest. <laughs> what? Pay <laughs> attention to your own life? It's unbelievable. It's also tough for him. My job, Tim, is to be the general manager of all these hooligans. So what do you think? God, you poor bastard. I follow your golf game. We could talk a little bit about oh, thank that. thank you. Very, very, very well done. That's all I had to say. Have a great day. So in any have case, a great day. Alyssa, who's, she kind of manages your career, right? Kind of, yes, she does. I mean, she is my manager. She but is we, your manager. Yeah, but we do kind of say she kind of manages. Because you kind of do whatever you want to do. I can give it do. to her a little bit. You, you kind of do whatever you want to do. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, we should we should have called her. Call her and give her a it's bunch not too of No, shit. don't use the phones. <laughs> yeah, but you Catherine might and Alex yourself. are too busy doing it. So anyway, so Alyssa said, well, I'll leave your credential at the front gate. So you just pick it up there. So I asked for my credential. and I'm handed this manila envelope with my name on it. I take out the lanyard. I put it over my head. You know, I don't look at it or anything. I just put, oh, no. put, put the lanyard on, right? So I walk up to the security. And the guy goes, is that supposed to be you? I said, what are you talking about? He says, look at the lanyard. I turn around, and it's her. <laughs> it's her picture. It's her picture with my name under it. So apparently, Alyssa thinks she and I look a lot alike. But, so that's when my day starts. And the guy actually got a huge kick out of it. He thought it was very funny, so he let me in anyway. So I find Tim, and we start walking along and having a good time. And after a few holes... This guy standing next to me, he goes, uh, could I have your autograph? I said, oh, you must be from Minnesota. And he goes, yeah, I'm from Minnesota. He said, I said, yeah, absolutely. So when I sign my name, you can't tell what it says. It's just kind of a scribble, right? So I'm talking to this guy for about another five minutes after I gave him my autograph, right? And we're talking about how well Tim is doing and everything's great. And, you know, boy, you really hit that ball well. How about that drive? And this whole kind of thing. So the guy finally has to leave to go catch up with his family. And he says to me, well, it was great meeting you, Mr. Heron. He thought it was Tim's dad. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, there is a bit of a resemblance. I think yeah, well, it's the you blue know. Eye. Tim thought it was the blue eyes. It's the blue eyes, for sure. Uh, Lumpy senior. <laughs> the funny thing is, my dad would have loved to give that autograph. That would have been his first autograph. That would have been his first? And you were there. I told, his- I told him that story. I ran into him at the White Bear, White Bear Yacht Club one day. Yeah. Uh, this past summer. I told him that story, and he said, what do you mean they thought you were me? And I said, well, the guy thought I was Tim's father. He goes, not necessarily you, but Tim's father. He goes, oh, good, because I don't want to look like you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks, Carson. Nice! <laughs> Thanks a lot, Carson. I really appreciate that immensely. It's, um, I was going over the list. How many generations of herons have won, like, state amateurs? <laughs> I mean, my God. Well, uh, Alyssa's won, I've won, yep. and my grandfather. Your grandfather. We skipped a generation with my dad. I know Carson's so I love saying that. that. I love saying that, but it pisses him off. <laughs> it really pisses him off. Carson is a, uh, he's a, a golf icon in the state of Minnesota. Everybody knows. If you play golf, you know you know Carson here, and it's, it's hilarious. But uh, you've been on the PGA Tour how long? 
Uh, since 96. So what's that? So 17 is that very years? First, that, yeah. God, it's 17 years. Yeah, I know. We're all Jesus. growing up. <laughs> we're all growing <laughs> Some up. Some of us. And we've out. passed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all growing Path growing. So it's very rare that a guy in his first year wins a tournament, isn't it? Yeah, it was my seventh event on tour. I can't, I, I had status out there, but it was kind of conditional. Well, it wasn't conditional. I, I was in some events and not in others. And uh, I had two weeks off before the hunt. I actually spent some time up here in Minnesota for two weeks and mm-hmm. then went down there and, and practiced with uh, Bob Reith. I remembered, uh, uh, yeah, sure. I remember doing that, playing a few rounds with him, and then went over to the Honda and won. So that was amazing. That was amazing to watch that whole whole situation unfold. That's kind of how Lumpy got out too. Bob Reith, he came out. And oh, watched. is that right? Yeah, and he knew uh, Dave Marr, who was um, a commentator, and said, "You you know anything about this kid? No one knows anything about this kid." And he goes, "Well, I know uh, he worked for my brother, and they call him Lumpy." So that's kind of how it got out. <laughs> so there. That's Lumpy. I, I got rid of it all the way through college uh-huh. and everything. I go, I don't think that's ever going to resurface. Yeah, and those nicknames stick. Yeah, it's stuck. <laughs> They stick for good. Again, I think any golfer, it doesn't matter if you're from here or, you know, half of our audience is not from Minnesota on the podcast. So even if you're not from Minnesota, if you're a golfer, you, even if you're not a golfer, it's an interesting story. <laughs> because Philip Reith, who was, Tim Tim worked for Philip Reith. At, uh, I worked real hard. Yeah. <laughs> just like Philip. As yeah, a exactly. Fact. And that's kind of tying, ties in with the story. Last time I saw Philip, he retired now. So this is a couple of years ago. Philip used to sit on the same stool in the golf shop, and he would just sit there. That's what he would do, just sit on this <laughs> stool all the time. So every time I would come and play the golf course, he'd kind of run his hand on his face. I'd give him a, oh, Christ, it's Bernard. <clears throat> said, Philip, how you doing? Ah, great. Everything's going really great. Matter of fact, yeah, things are good. I was thinking about you the other day, Bernard. I said, oh, you were, really? So what were you thinking? He goes, you and I got a lot in common. And I said, oh, yeah? What's that? And he goes, neither one of us do a fucking thing for a living. <laughs> <laughs> Him as a golf pro. I mean, did he ever go out on the golf course to, like, ranger? No, he went down. I, I was actually the official range picker. That was oh, my title. I was picked the range, you know, so I could hit some balls and stuff. and. Sometimes, you know, when we had more than eight people up there, I'd get a little nervy. He's like, you know, I'm going to go pick the range. You worry about the guys up up in the pro shop. Because he didn't want to deal with them. No, he didn't want to deal with them. Because he just doesn't want to. He didn't <laughs> no. want to deal with it. And he was there for, what, 30 years or something? Yeah. He, I, I've seen him up on the roof shoveling snow. and Philip. Yeah, yeah. He'd, oh, my God. He likes doing odd jobs. Yeah, I guess he at Woodhill, does. yeah. One of the great times, and we'll get off the subject for all the people who don't know what we're talking about here, but... When you used to go to the Wyzetta Muni back in the day, and you would run into Philip and Gordon Ritz. God, that was it. Those were and great. And T Wrights. T Wright. T Wright. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Gordon is, God, he's been gone for quite some time now. But those two guys, sitting just listening to those two guys talk, was like, oh my God. But that's one of the great things about golf, anyway. That, you know, there are baseball stories that are pretty good, and golf stories, I mean, uh, football stories are pretty good. Golf stories are all good. Yeah. Why is that? I well, I do have an opinion on that. I think uh, every, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, everyone plays the game. So yeah. for everyone that is playing the game, you're involved. Like uh, I don't know, last time I, you know, pitched a 
pitch maybe to my son or something, you know, but you don't go out and play football anymore, you know, at age 40 or you're going to, but you go out and play golf. So everyone kind of can connect to the stories, you know, they they hit a shot here or there and, and, you know, make a funny shot, like hit up sprinkler head, kick on the green, go in the hole, something like that. Well, so everyone can kind of connect to the, uh, this is about three years ago now, Tim Heron and John Randall, who's a Hall of Fame football player in the NFL. Everybody knows who John Randall is. Was Eddie, Eddie didn't show up, did he? Eddie McDaniel? I, we would have heard him. Who, yeah, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Yes, who was the would've. fourth in our group? It was John. It was you, John, me. It was Governor Plenty. Governor Plenty. Yes. Oh, there you go. What a strange... Coupling. Well, <laughs> Tom. Really yeah, I know. Tom did it, so of course it's going to be a little strange. Well, this is what I'm talking about the one at the, at uh, uh, Rush Creek. So you get to the tenth hole. John Randall takes about a half a backswing. That's just how he hits the ball. I mean, he just he never takes full backswing. Well, he can't actually. He doesn't have the flexibility. I think to do oh anything more God. than that. He can, he's, he's pretty muscle bound. He has. He is muscle bound. So one of the great things, one of a personal experience for me. So. Johnny Randall gets up on the 10th hole, just a par five, and hits a, a monstrous drive. He hit it like 340 or something like that. And Tim looks at me and goes, oh, I can't let him hit it past me. I can't let that happen. <laughs> so Tim aims down the left side of the fairway. And he goes, thinking to myself, why is he doing that? Tim hits his drive, hits the hell out of it. It hits the cart path and bounces along the cart path <laughs> and then rolls into the fairway. And you out hit him by like 60 yards. You must hit that thing 400 yards. I know. It was hilarious. That was the only chance I had. <laughs> it was great. It just bounced and bounced and bounced and then rolled in the fairway. I just couldn't let him hit it past me. It's just, it wasn't acceptable. But that's what I love about golf are things like that. I mean, I had a hole in one. There's no way I should have had a hole in one. Yeah, and you know, the cool the cool is. Quick to agree with me. What's cool is everyone, it's a numbers game, but yeah. what's cool is I can go out and play it Tom or whoever, and you can everyone can enjoy the day. Yeah. And yeah. we can actually play for a little bit of money and, you know, compete. And I just give him some shots or whatever, and he has a good chance of, of beating me, you know, uh, monetarily, anyways. No, he's Make lying. some money, you know? <laughs> no, he's lying. <laughs> No, but I mean, we can all go out where, yeah, you know, you playing football or any. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can even the field. Where yeah, that, that's what's cool about the game. I it think. is. There's no question about it. Matter of fact, we brought up Alyssa already, but the first time I played with Alyssa many many years ago, she plays from the men's tees because she could hit it eight thousand miles. <laughs> so it's like she hit it past me again. This is really great. It's, it's a lot of fun for me. You know? But she, honest Scott, she could have easily. Uh, played on the LPGA Tour, but she fo- wanted to focus on other things. She, oh, I mean, easily could have played on the LPGA Tour. Yeah, right? I, I don't know if she just had the... I think when she was playing, she had the passion, but she didn't have, you know, the 24-7, what you have to do to kind of traveling. and. Well, yeah. the LPGA has to be even more of a grind than the men's in the early days because there's really there's not much money. Not much money and the traveling golf. and there's no, you know, yeah, there's no uh, Priceline.com to get good rates on hotels and things like that so you have to uh you know try to make ends meet right <laughs> but how many years ago was it that you guys were over here we we're just sitting around drinking some wine just kind of hanging out at the house it was uh it was probably four or five years ago wasn't it Not probably four or five years it was ago. actually in this room 
Yes. Yeah, we Before watched we the Before we used Viking it as a game. studio. Yeah. Yeah, we, that's right. We watched the Vikings and went and sat outside and schmoozed for a while. And But, yeah, we're building a studio downtown Minneapolis, so this is not or permanent. So yeah, say. no, that's cool. <clears throat> or so they, they. say. <laughs> Who's they, you, Tom? Uh, yes. Apparently <laughs> that would be me. But Alyssa and I, like I said, Alyssa, it, it, you know, Tim and I have a friendship, and Alyssa and I have a friendship, and it's not based on the fact that it's Tim's sister. We just became friends, you know. Yeah, I think you're probably friends with her before me. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah that's probably. Yeah, I only hang out with you because of her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. But she has this wonderful husband, great guy, really. grounded. Yeah, which, very he, grounded. which she probably needs. <laughs> yeah, she definitely yeah, needs that. Yeah. Very handsome young man. Yeah, nicest guy you'd ever want to meet in the world, right? So he's like the when you see, he is like the whole package for like a husband. Yeah. And he's smart, too. And he's smart, too. (laughs) Yeah. So we're sitting around one day, and he's there, and Tim's there, and I'm there, and we're all talking. And Alyssa's had a few cocktails, and there's nobody more fun to be around when she's had a few cocktails than Alyssa. I thought I was. Well, you are. (laughs) You're fun. Oh, except for you give me the finger when we went out with our friends that one night. Oh, that was a bad (laughs) thing. I looked on the table, Cassie, give me... It's like real classic. What's that all about? That's the last time and the first time I've ever been that inebriated. I apologize. You were. God, you were. The, I'd it never seen you like ugly. that. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was ugly. It was weird. What were you throwing down, young lady? Oh, what wasn't I throwing down? I don't know what happened to me. That It was like somebody else possessed me. I was uh, Black <laughs> Russians. Tequila? It's all Kalua. booze. It's just booze and booze. No, and there's vodka. More. I've heard of white Kalua Russians. Vodka. Kalua and vodka. It, Kalua and vodka. Kalua and vodka and, Kalua and cream. vodka. Cream makes it a white and Russian. And it's super sweet, okay. so it just like goes right to your brain stem. So it was fun. <laughs> so it was fun. Yeah, it wasn't fun for three days afterwards. <laughs> God, oh, it was bad. <laughs> so don't, don't bring up that wasn't characteristic of me. Oh God, no! You uh, no. it had been. 30 years since I saw you that tank. That was Black Russians yeah, again, that's what I said. Too. Yeah, Every 30 years, I have to get really, I'm really hammered. 30 years ago, <laughs> i got to let asleep. it out, finally. I'm, I'm asleep. And I wake up, and it's like 2 in the morning, and where's Catherine? Why is she not home yet? So I figured I'd go, I'm you know. going to live down this story. <laughs> it's a great story. So... I look around, and then I see that the light's on in the bathroom. Oh, no. So I open the door, and she's lying in the tub. She's in the tub naked. And I said, honey, what are you doing? I might be sick. I said, what? She goes, I swear to God. She goes, I think I might be sick, so I'm in the tub with no clothes on. I, I didn't said, want to throw up on myself. <laughs> she didn't want to throw up um, on herself, yesterday. right? So she says, <clears throat> uh, so I say to her, well, what were you drinking? Because she's just not. you up to? She's just not a drinker. I mean, she's not no, a big drinker not at a good all. Drinker at all. So I said, what clearly, were you, <laughs> what were you drinking? And she goes, Blash Ruskins. <laughs> Teddy Ruskins. Yeah. Blash so, Ruskins. Tom tells all of his Goombas over at Golden Valley Goombas. this story. Really? And all of a sudden, they, they bought me a black Russian as a joke. Hey. And well, the guy still works here. And, of no. course, I drink it like an idiot. And that was the down. That was the well, start. It? And it was night. good. Yeah. And your was, clothes were still there? Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> I show up here. Oh, we actually. <laughs> I show up here the next morning oh, with my, my then... 
quite new boyfriend, Dan. This is yeah. like the third time he's See, ever met my mother. Drink. Found her in the tub. Found her in the tub <laughs> naked. That was the night nice. before. No one checked on me. I could have died. Hi, Mrs. B. <laughs> well, you're in good shape. <laughs> so, Alex. See ya. <laughs> it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know Tom's got more stories that he's not going to tell. We about. honestly got, I'm, I'm telling you, just, I've seen her drunk twice in my life. Come on. Like, both true. times because of black rum. Oh, she just does not drink I can't. Much. I can't because if I have too much, it's like I get like a five-day hangover oh, from like a couple too. of extra glasses of wine. It's like, yeah, that was really a fun night, but now I feel like shit for a week. Yeah, so it doesn't work for me. That's how my wife me. is. It doesn't work for me. How was it again? Because, because we decided, well... Neither one of us should drive home, so we had friends. One oh friend drove her. God, I don't even the, know who it was. It was some. She I never no know. Idea to who gave her a ride home. <laughs> she gave me a ride home. So I don't even know. I'm like, I don't even know how like I got fell her out here. Of the car or something. Yeah, I did. She fell mom. out of the car. Crawled out of the car. <laughs> what are you doing, mom? It was bad. It was very, very bad. So being out on the tour, how do you how do you avoid living that lifestyle all the time? So we're going back to this. Yeah. (laughs) So we want some of your drunk stories. (laughs) I have some. I have some, but I don't remember them like you. (laughs) I don't remember them. That's why your sister should be here, so she can tell the tale. She would well, not remember. you know, early, early days, you know, you'd probably go out a little more because there, we didn't play for quite as much money. Right. And now that, right. the, you know, <clears throat> the money's so good, it's like, you know, play hard, party hard when you get home. But now I got three right. kids, so yeah, that's the true. party hard's kind of gone. Yeah, party and hard. Yeah, I suppose that is very, very true. But, it's, God, it's got to be so, so tempting for an unmarried young guy that's making really good dough. Yeah. To say, well, all I got to do is play. Good. Really, I, you know, I'm supposed to play six days a week with the warm up round, or seven days a week, I guess. But I really only have to play four days a week. Yeah, well, you know what I figured out is there's really not that much going on on Sundays. There's a lot of places. <laughs> there's a lot of places that aren't. They're they're just not happening on Sundays. You know. You figured that out. Yeah, I figured that out. So, and that's kind of our day off. You know, right after the tournament, you go out Sunday, yeah. go travel on Monday, and. That's true. Or go out on Monday, you know, things aren't really going on. And we're usually not like downtown New York or you know, I yeah. guess we I guess we spend some time in Vegas, but Vegas is yeah. always happening, but uh But I mean, like if you talk to an NFL player or a uh, major league baseball player, I guess they can find it, right? They tell me <laughs> yeah. you can tell who's going to make it as a as a player and who's not by the way they live their life. Oh yeah, I'm sure that if you know if you're in the major leagues and you're got the women hanging all over you and you're drinking every night and you're blah blah, like Tiger Woods. I'm talking about baseball now. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Justin Morneau is actually a great story about that time. That Gardy actually had to talk to him after his first year. He sat him down and said, "You have an incredible gift for baseball." He sat him down and said, "You got to kind of cool it." He would fly in his buddies for the games. From Canada, yeah, yeah, and then he'd go out with them, and he was going out constantly. And yeah. finally, Gary just said, "You know, it's up yeah. to you. You're a good enough player where you'll be fine in Major League Baseball for years. But if you cool it, and the next year he won the MVP. Well, it sounds like yeah. he has another gift too. If he's flying in guys to go out and party, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So he had to make a decision, right? Well, yeah. I remember back about <laughs> 20 years ago. So I mean, a long time ago, and I can't name the guy because it's kind of you know very private information. But we're hanging out one night, had a little dinner, a few you know cocktails or whatever. He's a big star in baseball, right? Yeah, big name in baseball. Didn't play for the Twins. Well, he, I think he played for the Twins for one year. 
But anyway, so he's going to, he's going to, I said, let me pick this up. I said, okay. So he said, would you do me a favor and fill out the check? Because I can't see. Because I'm going to be driving and he's going to be riding, right? So he can't see. So I said, yeah, I'll write the check out. I said, you're going to have to sign it. But so I'm filling the thing out. And I said, here, sign this. So he signs it. I tear tear the check out. I said, do you want me to do the entry? He goes, yes, because I'll never remember to do it. So I go to the the ledger, part of his checkbook. Mm -hmm. He had $7 million in his checking account. Wow. should have written a check out to yourself. Oh, of course. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're getting like 0.01% interest on this money. Do you realize that? $7 million in his checking account. You know, I would just keep looking at my checkbook <laughs> register every day. I'd be like, look at all that That money. was just fun money for him. I'd have a guy write my yeah. checks and not have to do my ledger at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he said, no, just yeah, he just said I would, I'll never remember what I wrote that check out for, so you better put it in the ledger. Somebody's like, holy okay. Did you make up a funny thing in his ledger? Yeah, heroin you know, and hookers in the memo. Do you realize you have seven hundred thousand dollars in your checking account? Write myself a check for six point three. Exactly. <laughs> I know there was a seven at the beginning, but I don't remember how many zeros after that. But yeah, I mean, as a professional athlete, and you've been at it now, like you said, for seventeen years. It's. Uh, I mean, you you did settle down. I, although I remember one time during a rain delay. Uh, few years ago so the rain delays they're gonna get back they're gonna get back on the course well here you are with tim heron gentlemen we're about ready to go out on the course so tim i mean what do you do you can't really hit balls because it's raining outside so what do you do during a rain delay and tim said and i quote i had a sleeve of donuts (laughs) (laughs) a sleeve uh, <laughs> a sleeve of donuts. But it does look like a sleeve of donuts. Yeah, it does. The little mini donuts. Yeah, little chocolate mini donuts. Well, they have all that free buffet, free Krispy Kreme. So, I mean, sleeve you, you can't just have one Krispy Kreme, can you? Well, no, I suppose not. So I probably hit one and hit two, then I hit the whole sleeve. <laughs> I hit the whole sleeve. I, now, I, when I talked to you a couple of days ago, you, were, you got a new workout regimen? Well, no, it's not. It's I hate working out. I just yeah. I have a trainer, so I'm trying right. to just get get to point A to point B. You know, next year, and, <laughs> you know, just feel a little healthier, and you know, I'm getting I'm not getting any younger. So well, you're only forty. Yeah, no, I'm forty. I'm almost forty three. So you're almost forty three. Yeah, I know. God, I, see, I, could, I could be your dad. That's terrible. <laughs> when when I mean I don't. When does the senior thing start? Senior tour fifty fifty. So yeah. you got. A I got while. seven years. Got a while. Yeah. So, yeah, just trying to be a little healthier. At least do something in the off season, you know. So, yeah. So I'm more prepared when I start out next year in Hawaii. You start out next year in Hawaii. Yeah. You know, one thing I always thought, and maybe I'm uh, because I know you or whatever, but I always thought it was a they should have brought you onto the Ryder Cup teams with Tiger Woods because he liked playing with you. Yeah, they should have. Why didn't they? I, it just because he he said many many times how much he loved playing with you, and that your styles fit one another really well. And he plays like shit in the Ryder Cup. You know? Um, yeah, I mean, he tried Stricker, and um, I had three chances to be picked. I never played my way on, and I never got picked. I don't know. Um, I know Ben Crenshaw was close to pick me. Oh, what a great what, what, Yeah, what's that? Uh, <laughs> God, Ben Crenshaw. We won't mention or she doesn't hang grenades, I guess, right? Yeah, Close, exactly. Yeah. Won't mention the guy who did it, but a couple of years ago, the PGA was was here in Minnesota. It was at Hazeltine. 
and you were the first alternate. Yep. I was probably seventh, and guys were dropping guys out, were dropping. and then by the time the the first tee time, I was first alternate. Because I, I don't know if you guys are still friends or not after yeah, that. Yeah, I am. Uh, there was one guy that didn't know if he was going to be able to go or not, and if he dropped... John Daly? Well, so you brought us <laughs> in. Okay. We're going to talk about John Daly. That's okay. Well, why don't you tell the story, because it But that was awfully nice. Yeah, I know. Um, oh, that I've just known off. John, and you know he's uh, done some crazy things. Well, he played, what, five holes or nine holes, and then he withdrew because he yeah. shot like 45. Right. So he went out there and played. He didn't finish, and it would have been nice, you know, my hometown, whatever, that I could, you know, at least play in front of oh, yeah. uh, friends and family and things like that. But he and he only played nine holes, and I was gone. I don't even think he played nine holes. Well, <clears throat> yeah, let's say five. I think it might have been That's around so five. But he probably lost all his balls. I really, you know, I've interviewed John several times, and I really liked him. But that day, it was like, why? How? How could you do that to your? Your guys are friends. Yeah, we're good buddies. You know, he, you know, selfish at times. I guess we all are. But do you kind of uh, have to watch out for your own career just because of your sponsors? And oh, stuff? exactly. Yeah. Yep. But uh, you know, he. This isn't the first bout he's done. You know, he's been forgiven a lot. And uh, yeah, that's true. You know, so tell me, John's more. John, and he's been <laughs> what forgiven been for, for what. Well, he's he's kind of the poster boy being the wild child on tour, kind of redneck right. type wild child guy. And, he, you know, you tell him to do one thing and he does the other. Or you don't even tell him, you, you know, you know, golf, common courtesy, you do one thing and he kind of does the other. But, uh, you know, he's kept it entertaining, I guess, in golf. And he still has a big following. He does. But he doesn't have a lot of status on tour. He plays in Europe. No. Now in Asia and things like that, and he's burned some bridges because of walking off golf courses like he did in the PGA. Touched a touched a moving ball once. Remember that really pissed off the. Yeah, golf I played well that year too. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah that wasn't good when the ball's moving. The ball's moving and he uh, touches it. You can't. I mean, it's like the worst thing yeah. you, as a professional golfer. Yeah, the great thing about golf, again, for people who don't play golf, <laughs> is which your wife does not, right? Well, she, did, she, she played a little bit. Few times I've, I've played. I, I don't know. I just could never get the ball to go where I wanted it to, so it's not Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but not even go. remotely. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get you to that in a second, too, because it's something that always mystified me. But, um, yeah, I just, that, that day, I was like, really? You're going to go ahead and, even though you know it's Tim's hometown, and he's healthy and he's ready to go, you step aside, he's in. You know you're not going to be able to finish all four rounds. What do you do? Why would you do that? Makes no sense. To me. I don't know. I can't get in that guy's brain. No, that'd be pretty much <laughs> nice guy. Like yeah. I said, I've interviewed him several times. He's a great guy. Nice guy, and he'd give you know he, he's more self destructive than he is. You know, he'd give his shirt off his back if, if well, who you're want in that shirt? I don't yeah, want the exactly, pants. Exactly. I don't want no, pants. I don't want the pants either. <laughs> yeah, they're don't. not slimming. <laughs> no, they're not slimming. <laughs> don't need any witnesses to prove that they are indeed the best of the Tom Bernard podcast brought to you by Brad Shaw and Bryant. Great clips this week from Elka Scholes, Chris Matthews, and Tim Heron. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week.